Words saved me. Books saved me. I read voraciously as a child. Mm -hmm. One of the safe places was in the library with all its wonderful smells and all its books. And and those gave me other worlds that I could go to. I remember being lost in them. And then when I was, I think, 13, I wrote to Pearl S. Buck, whom, who I loved, and to Taylor Caldwell, who I also loved, and told them that I was going to be a writer someday. You're listening to Susan Landgraf on this edition of the Jack Straw Writers Program podcast. She talked with program curator Matt Briggs in the studio. You know, the the poems I'm doing now were a continuation of some children's poems that sure. I had done. And, and, and those are quite different for me. They are quite different, yeah. yeah. And so what, what are some of the differences then? Well, they're rhyming right? Uh, and tend to be more iambic than what I so are they formal? typically do. Are you, are you right? They're more formal. They're also more playful. Mm-hmm. They stem from a collaboration I did with a woman by the name of Tressa Alston, who is a painter. She had done a series of paintings for children that were about the sea, kelp, dolphin, that kind of thing. It was one of those wonderful moments, well, where I let myself go. And they became these playful but very formal, rhyming, metered poems for children. Now you'll hear selections of Susan's work from a live reading at Jack Straw Productions. Jack Straw resident artist and musician Paul Rucker accompanies Susan in a special performance at the end of the program. The Chinook people gave him the name, and whichever spelling you choose, pronounce it like this, gooey duck. Oh, a gooey duck here weighing five pounds and some ounces and a gooey duck going deep in the sand, using his muscled foot to go down, down, without a sound. But your arm is growing longer and you're panting as you dig down in the sand or mud, maybe all the way to the ocean's bottom or another beach. Him pushing down out of his two-part shell, a gooey duck there, just out of your reach. Frogs. I love frogs. You can find them where it's mucky and wet, in ponds and bogs that act like sponges. Maybe you'll hear them first, ribbit, ribbit, or jump back surprised when they lunge away like they've been sprung through the air, gone under cover. Look for their bulging eyes like a camera lens. Then look for them in books. 3,400 kinds, all sizes, colors, even red, and patterns, stripes, dots, spots. So many your head will swim with wonder at these frogs that lost their tadpole tails, these amazing amphibians. It's one of those where the rhymes swim and amphibian, it just, one of those gifts. All right. Slugs. And if you want to know what I really think about them, you could ask me later. Slugs. They know how to hide right under your nose during the day, under rocks and ledges, waiting, then come out into your garden to make their way at night. They glide on their trail of slime like they had wheels on their way to eat your lettuce and marigolds. Take a flashlight and shine the beam on a slug so you can see its antennae reach out. The slug, a tube-like radio, playing its own kind of music in the moonlight. Listen to one intent on finding 
tender green shoots. Try poking a big, fat, black slug and watch as it gets mad and acts quite frightened how it pulls its antennae in, rocks side by side as if to comfort itself. Watch how two slugs in courtship wrap themselves into a spiral and lay eggs, a pool of glistening white eggs like glossy berries. Then wait under rocks and ledges to turn into more and more new slugs another night. <laughs> devilfish. See the devilfish roll out its tentacles like a finger with suction cups, like a tongue tasting a rock or crab. See its eyes high up on its nose, looking around among the salmon, eels, and whales in the great Pacific, talking to others of its kind, from pinks to browns to blues, because even though they're colorblind, they can show what they feel when their colors change. See how they can stick one tongue this way, another backwards, and in that cold, cold, inky black of the great sea. They can rise out of the waves like an eight-legged ghost that never sleeps, that keeps storytellers busy writing words about octopuses living in the deep. This is not a poem for children. It's a poem about children. This one is called Balance in Nature, Diorama of a Termite Mound in the main museum hall, Vintook, by the children in grade three. The termite queen's balcony is high up on the three-foot mound above a sea of termites carrying painted signs. Peace, no war. Some carry kernels of corn. Over by the pool, a few lie on towels or recline under an umbrella in beach chairs. Two or three sport sunglasses. Back at the mound, at the queen's window, white curtains seem to ruffle in the breeze. When our oldest was growing up, he watched of course, The Wizard of Oz, the classic. And this poem is inspired by that. It's called Wizard and the Eight-Year-Old. Black and white nightmare, he didn't have to live. This was a combination of studio effects, symbols, flashing lights. This wasn't a real tornado, and tin men couldn't talk. But if Dorothy lost her shoes, if she lost heart, if Scarecrow had a hidden agenda and the yellow brick road was planted with landmines, the wizard didn't own his sham. Dorothy clicked her heels, and out of her rebellion, they all got what they wished for. Still, he thought of carnivals, fire-eating man, the big jar with its two-headed pig, and behind glass, Dorothy's shoes. 
back down at the heels. Addictive Dan the Oyster Man said, You have to set yourself a limit. Imagine what it was like for the first whites. Cockles for the taking and oysters, clams, quail, duck, deer. Size of a child's fist, cockles marked like tree rings. Variegated ivory and black tumbled in the channel, some submerged in the sand, nuggets scooped and dropped in the holy buckets, and the nursery rhyme stuck like a seed in my teeth, cockles crying, cockles, cockles, alive, alive oh. We cut through the fast-running, sun-glinted water with our hands. Dan talked over the wind. Chinooks and Quinaults who were here died off with measles and smallpox, and the oyster beds died soon after. With growing demand from around the country, oysters shipped in ice to San Francisco, where they went well with cigars and scotch. And Oysterville boomed with taverns and churches. Up the road, the cemetery grew headstones. Indian and white alike. Blackberries grew faster than spades could cover the graves. Thunderbird was there. Thunderbird who made man was there. God the Father and Christ were there. And Tulux, the south wind. Okay, just a half bucket more. Three blue plastic bags full. The bay quiet, except for the wind. And then popping sounds like little hands clapping. Zing, 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 zing. Silver perch strafing our legs. Thighs, outstretched hands. The fish flipping in and out of the long green grass. Like a mesh net over the channel, over the oyster beds. The mussels and cockles crying, cockles, cockles alive, alive, oh, and Tulux, always Tulux crying, I am the south wind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, Susan. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as a part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2007 curator of this program is Matt Briggs. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Proventure and Tom Stiles. Arts Program's manager is Van Deep. Narrator is Michelle Kazak. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. 
The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, For Culture, King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.